Hey, before we start this episode, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming virtual 5K. Are you sick of being cooped up inside for the past year? How about getting outside and also doing something to support Israel and the Jewish people? Join us for our Bless Israel virtual 5K. We've put together a three-mile path that actually walks you through a route in Israel. You can walk or run at your own pace and in your own time. Join an international community of believers around the world committed to Israel. For more details, go to a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. Every year, the worldwide Jewish community, at least once a year, is going through what the Christians would call communion in the context of a Passover Seder, but because that veil remains, we don't see it. And so for our Christian audience, I'd say, let's change our language, let's change the narrative from how can the Jewish people not see it, it's so clear, to wow, God, would you remove the veil from the Jewish people's eyes to encounter their own Messiah who inaugurated a new covenant first for the house of Israel as well as for all people in that, in that Last Supper, that Passover Seder in the year that he died. Welcome to A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. I'm your co-host, Carly Berna. And I'm Ezra Benjamin. We're a Jew and a Gentile who both believe in Jesus and believe that there's value in looking at history as well as today's world and the headlines through both a Jewish and a Christian lens. You might be listening to this right now on a podcast app or you could be watching it on video on YouTube. So if you want to check us out on video and you haven't yet this season, go ahead into the A Jew and a Gentile YouTube channel where you can watch us um, on video if you'd like. So today we're actually going to talk about communion. But before we get started, we want to let you know about an opportunity to support Jewish communities you may never have heard of living in some of the most remote parts of the world with immediate physical needs you can help relieve. There's details on our website at ajewandagentildiscuss.org. And as a thank you for getting involved, we want to send you some coffee that we have directly from Ethiopia where we have served these people in Jewish communities for over 20 years. So stay tuned to the end of this podcast for a chance to get that coffee for free, or if you want to go and purchase it right now, you can do so at a Jew and a Gentile discuss.org. So let's discuss. Good. Well, Carly, we're talking about uh, maybe an idea that's very familiar to the Christian community and yet very foreign to the Jewish community. And we're trying to figure out, does this have anything to do with the Jewish community at all, or is this just some church or Christian invention? And the topic is, drum roll please, communion. Some might, if you come from a Catholic background, you might call that Holy Communion. Uh, some people more generically might say the Lord's Supper or the Holy Meal or what's the fancy word in the, in the high church area? Eucharist. Eucharist. Yes. That's it. Let's throw some Latin in on this Jew and Gentile Discuss podcast. But we're talking about communion and what possible connection could that have to the Jewish community or to the Jewish faith. So before we do that, because in my mind, communion is more of a kind of a Christian idea. You know, if, if you're from a Jewish background and you're listening, you're going, eh, definitely Christian. Don't know what that has to do with me. So from a Christian perspective, like talk about what did communion mean to you growing up in the Catholic faith? Uh, what was your first experience with communion? Yeah, so um, I was raised in the Catholic faith. And so my first communion was, I think I was like in first grade, you know, you go to like Burlington Coat Factory and get the, the white dress <laughs> and you go up and you have to learn, you know, like this hand over this hand right, right, and then right. you grab it and you, and you eat it. Um, and I just remember that they told us before we 
took the drink part, you know, don't make a face afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, because it's the first time you've ever had it, it's not like you get like a taste tester ahead of time. Right. So I took the drink and then I was just like, okay, do not make face, do not make face. What did it taste like? I mean, this is booze, right? So, sorry, I should have said that nicer. This is wine <laughs> at, the, at your first communion. Yeah, yeah, it had, you know, a taste I had never had before. Right. So I, it was, it was tart. It was something I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, then we, then we sat down. So I would say, you know, at least for me at that point, I understood that it represented Jesus's body and his blood, but it wasn't like, I didn't have this, um, you know, intense spiritual moment, right. at least at that point. It mm -hmm. wasn't until, um, you know, later I would say, I was born again much later mm -hmm. in my faith and became a, um, a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to a church that actually only served communion once a month. Okay. And that became more meaningful to me because it wasn't just a ritual, but it was more special, a dedicated time, right. you know, to do that, not just something that we did every, every week, which is different for everyone in different, um, you know, faith backgrounds. Right. Um, and we're not going to get into today, like, is the communion at the actual blood, the actual body, how often you should take it? Like right. each denomination has their own you know, sure. experience. Sure. But before we get into kind of maybe where we see communion in the scriptures and the possible Jewish roots of it. So when you came to faith, like what you said, when you were born again, mm -hmm. uh, when you became kind of a wholly devoted follower of Jesus, how did, what was the meaning of communion for you at that point? And that, let's say, before you kind of got connected with the Jewish voice world and the idea of Jewish roots of the Christian faith, what did it mean to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, for me personally, it represented the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross, mm -hmm. um, you know, his body and his blood. And so it was just a, more of a devotional time of taking the elements and right. remembering that. Right. Um, which was different than, uh, you know, my first communion, mm -hmm. which was more just about kind of getting through the, the ritualistic piece of it. Right. So remembering the sacrifice of Jesus as like a, kind of a personal devotional experience. Jesus yep. died for me. Yeah. This blood takes away my sins kind of deal. Right. Right. Which exactly. is probably, I think it's typical in the believing world, right? Evangelical, Anglican, uh, Episcopal, the idea that this represents Jesus' sacrifice for my sins. Right. Right. Yep. Exactly. Not wrong, not atypical. Yep. Good. Yeah. So in the scriptures, one of the verses we were going to talk about today is 1 Corinthians 23, mm -hmm. um, 23 to 28. I'll just read it. Mm -hmm. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So this is a very common verse I've heard, especially, right. you know, before communion, even now, um, when I go to church, you know, they, they recite that. Um, but, you know, as, as we've talked about before, as your American Jewish upbringing, um, what was your experience of communion growing up? Sure. Well, I'll say, you know, a, a lot of my childhood experience was actually in the Messianic Jewish world. So there was the idea of communion, though we didn't call it by that name. I think we more typically called it the Lord's Supper or uh, in the Messianic Jewish community or the... Um, Jesus-believing portion of the Jewish community, people may even use a Hebrew word, and it's yiskor, 
which means, I said that with a very American accent, by the way. Any Hebrew speakers are cringing as they're listening to our podcast. Yizkor, you know, they'd roll the R, but Yizkor, with my Rochester accent, and that literally means a remembrance. And where we pull that from is, is what you just read here in 1 Corinthians, do this in remembrance of me. And so that exists in the Messianic Jewish community in the mainstream Jewish community, which to this day largely rejects the idea that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, uh, for reasons we've discussed in other podcasts. Listen to those and you'll have the context for that. Uh, the idea of the Lord's Supper is absent. That, and and the, the Jewish perspective there is, oh yeah, communion, the Eucharist, the Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, that's for the Christians. Uh, and the larger underlying issue there that we sort of, if you will, go after in this podcast, you know, spoiler alert, what's one of our agendas? It's to deal with this idea, Carly, that Jesus shows up on the scene around 0 AD, you know, or CE, I'll be more current, and invents this new religion thereby rejecting everything about Judaism and founding some completely new system as though it just came out of thin air. And what we talk about on every podcast, we're going to talk about it today as well, is to say, no, that's not actually the context of what's happening. That the Old and the New Testament are one story. It's about a God who wants to uh, redeem man, Jew and Gentile alike, Jewish and non-Jewish person, and he has to provide a way for that redemption that the prophets and even Moses foresaw, uh, and that that redemption is accomplished in the person of Jesus. His name in Hebrew is, is Yeshua. And that that salvation, that redemption, was first for the Jew, Paul says, and, and Jesus says, I've come first, I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But that it's also available to all who would call upon his name. And so anyway, we could go along these lines for a while, but as we're talking about communion, I just want to emphasize the idea that this isn't something like the rest of Jesus' ministry on earth before his death and his resurrection isn't some new invention that he sort of pulls out of a hat and says, ta-da, I've done a new thing. He's not inventing something new. He's fulfilling something very old. Mm -hmm. And so the question, you know, the, the scripture you read, maybe uh, for those of us who attend churches, who, you know, take the Lord's Supper, either weekly or, or monthly, you've heard the verses, right? This is sort of how pastors or whoever's leading communion sets it up. They read the First Corinthians passage, and we hear it so often that we sort of tune out. But I want us to tune in for a couple minutes in this podcast episode and, and ask the question, right? It says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. What night was that? He took bread. What kind of bread was that? And he broke it and he gave thanks. Skipping ahead a few verses, it says, after supper. He took the cup. What supper was he eating? And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. What covenant? Okay, so I just want to talk about those things for a couple minutes to give the Jewish context to communion. Um, so first of all, the night he was betrayed, what season was it? The context here is, I believe, and you know, there's a lot of debate. Was it actually Good Friday or Good Thursday? Because if we know he rose from the dead three days later on Sunday morning, then how do we count that? I think Good Friday was actually Good Thursday. So in my view, this was actually a Wednesday night and it was leading up to what in the year that Jesus died would have been Passover weekend. Well, why does that matter? In the Jewish community, listen to our episodes on Passover, uh, what pretty much every Jewish, every observant uh, Jewish family on earth does on the eve of Passover is to hold what's called a Seder. And it literally means the order of remembering or observing our exodus from Egypt, from slavery into freedom. And following that night of Passover is this week of unleavened bread when you're eating matzah or bread made without yeast. And you start doing that at, that, at this Passover Seder on the eve of Passover. 
But we understand from scriptures that the afternoon Jesus dies on the cross is actually right before the eve of Passover. So what's going on here? Like you read in 1 Corinthians, it says the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, I believe that that was actually, if you will, kind of a teaching Seder, a teaching Passover meal observance with his disciples because he knew the next night his life will be taken from him. He's not going to be able to do that with them as the rest of Israel is slaughtering the lambs at twilight at the same time, incidentally, when he's dying on the cross that afternoon and then celebrating a Passover meal. So this night Jesus is betrayed, he's actually doing a Passover Seder. The Last Supper is really a Passover Seder with his disciples, and it says he took bread. So here's that first part of what we know in the Christian community is communion, right? And it wasn't this like loaf of sourdough. We just have to understand that here. The bread that Jesus is taking in a Passover Seder is unleavened bread. Uh, listen to our Passover episode on all the details of why it needs to be unleavened and what that means. But part of what that unleavened bread had to be was striped and pierced. That was how it had to be made. Like they had to punch holes in the dough to make sure it didn't rise. And then it had to be sort of grilled over the fire and it would have these stripes or these burn marks. And so Jesus is sitting with his disciples, one of whom was about to betray him and had already done that deal. And Jesus knew it, okay? And he lifts up this bread and he says, after he's given thanks to the Father, it says he broke it. So you have this, this piece of bread representing no leaven, no sin that's striped and pierced, and now Jesus breaks it, and he says, this thing that's striped and pierced and that I've just broken is my body, which is for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. So at this point, right, the disciples, even though Jesus has said multiple times, my life has to be taken from me unless the Son of Man's lifted up, you know, when that happens, I'll draw all men to myself. They didn't get it. Either they didn't believe it or they didn't want to believe it, right? Because it's a terrible thing to think that their teacher, this, this beloved who's walked with them for three years, is going to be taken from them. And yet he's saying, okay, this bread that represents an exodus and something that's without sin actually is a representation of me. So Jesus is taking a Jewish Passover Seder and he's adding a new meaning to it. Super important, right? Like he's not inventing something new and goes, hmm, how am I going to explain this to them? Uh, okay, bread. It was by design. And we could say, you know, did Jesus, did Jesus use the Passover Seder to point out something about himself? Or, let me flip this on its head for our Jewish audience, was the whole idea of a Passover experience actually a foreshadow of the ultimate redemption and exodus from sin and slavery uh, to sin and, and death as a consequence for sin that our people, Israel, have always needed. So I think that's part of what's going on. Well, that, that's really the entirety of what's going on here with, with this idea of his body, right, the bread. And then it says, after supper, I know I'm talking a lot. I know you have questions, Carly, but let me just kind of lay out the rest of the meal here. After supper, uh, Jesus, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Well, why does it matter after supper? Because in a Passover Seder, even today, go into a Jewish home in New York or Los Angeles or Israel and go into a Jewish home, homestead, hut, whatever it was, back in the time when Jesus walked on earth, you would have had four cups in the Passover meal. Uh, won't go into all those details. Now listen to the Passover episode. I'll keep plugging that. But there's these four cups in the Passover meal. And the first two happen before the supper. 
and the second two, the final two, happen after the supper. So that's why Paul's making sure here, remember, Paul's a Jewish man who had encountered and whose life had been transformed by Jesus himself during the middle of his, what we can call, anti-missionary work to wipe out the name of Jesus from from Jewish history, and yet God encounters him and changes his life. And so Paul's very careful here, I think, Carly, even to the, to the Gentile Corinthian church to say you need to understand the exact nature of what's happening. So after supper, which means it's this third cup, okay? It's called the cup of redemption in the Jewish tradition. So all the disciples have just understood, okay, this matzah, this bread made without leaven, represents his body, which is about to be broken for us. Well, what does the cup represent? Well, he takes this third cup, this cup of redemption. I'll redeem you, children of Israel, to myself. I'll give you a purpose. I'll reconcile you to myself. And he takes this third cup of wine and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Well, what new covenant? Is Jesus inventing a new covenant? No. Hundreds of years before, Jeremiah says the days are coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It won't be like the one I gave to their fathers. It's a new one. I'm going to write my law on the tablets of human hearts by my spirit. So the disciples have that context. He's saying this blood, meaning my sacrifice for you tomorrow on that cross, is the cup of redemption as it was always intended to be. This is the new covenant that Jeremiah saw, which is going to redeem you to me. And that's what he means. Does it actually become his blood, as some of the Catholic tradition says? Like you said, we're not, we're not really getting into that today. But he's saying, at least, this cup represents and carries all the benefits of the blood of my sacrifice for you. And so you have the matzah, his broken body, and this third cup, the cup of redemption, his blood, which, which really ushers in this new covenant that Jeremiah foresaw. So that's the context here. That's why the meal matters. That's why the night matters that he was betrayed. That's why saying after supper, before supper, you know, with the, with the wine and then with the bread matters, is this is actually a Jewish meal. So as much as today the Christian church, I think the Christian church has very little context that this is actually something Jewish, let alone the Jewish community who's going, yeah, that's weird. Body and blood, what is this, like cannibalism in the name of Christianity? Like I'm being a little dramatic, but really, you know, what are Jewish objections to the idea that Jesus is for the Jewish people? These traditions which were absolutely, these Christian traditions which were absolutely based in Judaism that over the centuries have somehow become detached and divorced. And now when the Jewish community looks at these things, they're unrecognizable. So that's part of what we're about here on this podcast is to say, let's, let's make the things that Jesus brought to bear during his life and ministry recognizable again to the Jewish community. And let's make these Jewish traditions, which have become Christian traditions, recognizable in their original form to the Christian community. So I said a lot, but that's, that's the Jewish idea of communion. Yeah, that's great context. You know, as I think about um, my understanding of communion before I worked at Jewish Voice, and right. maybe I just was a naive Christian, but I never connected it with Passover. Mm -hmm. I, I knew, okay, yes, it was the Last Supper, you know, I imagined the painting right. and all of that, but not that Jesus was actually having mm -hmm. Passover. Right. Um, so one question I had for you is, so, you know, growing up, you grew right. up kind of in this Messianic Jewish home. Mm -hmm. Do, does a Messianic Jew celebrate, celebrate, sure. in quotes, communion weekly, monthly, like besides Passover? Sure. How is it celebrated just, you know, on a regular basis? Right. It's a good question. So I think in, in our congregations in the Jewish believing community, you have in a way, uh, a variation of tradition just like you'd have in the Christian community. There's some congregations that do this uh, every week, uh, kind of the idea, do this as often as you do in remembrance of me. There's others that do it once a month. There's some that do it, you know, less regularly than that. And I think there's some 
uh, congregations, Carly, that actually just do it once a year around Passover. Mm -hmm. Like the congregational Passover meal, mm -hmm. that Seder, yeah. is the one time when they'll do it. Uh, what do I think? Let's not get into that today. I think doing it as often as we do in remembrance of Yeshua, our Messiah, is absolutely important. Mm -hmm. I think it is a command to the disciples, to these first Jewish followers of Jesus, as well as to all, you know, we'll call it in the ecclesia, the international body of believers, mm -hmm. uh, the vast majority of whom today are, are not Jewish, who also call on his name. It's this command to eat these elements and to remember and to do them in remembrance of him. And, you know, you didn't ask me the question, but I'll, I'll, be, I'll go out a little bit on a limb. You know, people say, oh, you can take it with, you know, Coca-Cola and, uh, you know, a Dorito. Okay, well, thank you for the brand recognition. Is that really the Lord's Supper? I, I, you know, if you're doing that in remembrance of Jesus, I guess, kind of, sort of, but I think the elements matter, right? Like the idea of bread, you know, uh, one of the churches that, that my wife and I have visited, you know, it's this tiny little wafer and it actually tastes like something you would use to kind of pack an Amazon package and then ship it. Like it's, it's not so nice, mm -hmm. but it's without leaven. It's certainly without yeast. It has to be because it's as flat as a piece of paper. And so it's like, okay, bread made without leaven. I'm using bread generously, but you know, yeah. with the wafer, but that and actually a grape product, you know, whether that's wine, whether that's Welch's, I think it does matter, or at least a fruit juice product, because the idea here is the elements of a Passover Seder, this kind of fruit of the vine and bread from the earth. So for those of us during COVID that were using Coca-Cola and a Dorito because we had nothing else. You know, uh, get creative, get creative rather than giving up. That's what I would say. So, so you know, I already stated as from a Christian perspective, we celebrate communion, you know, as often as your church does from a mm -hmm. Messianic perspective, same thing. But what about Jews around the world? Because right. obviously you're talking about that communion came from a Jewish tradition, which is Passover. Right. So of course they're still celebrating Passover, sure. not the way that we might be looking at it as, you know, Jesus being involved in the sacrifice right. um, for our sins, but how are they celebrating, I wouldn't call it communion, mm -hmm. but Passover right. in, in any of this context? Yeah, well, to this day, like I mentioned, you get matzah, sometimes you buy it at the local, you know, uh, Safeway or whatever, sometimes people make it. In Israel, there's very religious Jewish communities that actually make this, like in stone ovens and sell it in the community, kind of like, old school Bible time style, super delicious actually, better than the store-bought stuff. But anyway, uh, the Jewish community is still doing Passover seders uh, every year in their homes or in their local congregations, their faith communities, um, using these same elements of unleavened bread and of usually wine or at least grape juice, something made out of grapes. Uh, the idea in Hebrew literally is the fruit of the vines. And even more than that, Carly, we're still retelling the, we're recounting the story of our exodus from Egypt, which is a command actually in the scriptures. Do this every year on the 14th of Nisan at sunset to tell your children that we were slaves and that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob redeemed us as it is this day. So we're telling that story. We're drinking the four cups of wine and maybe, you know, as our Christian listeners are, are processing what we're talking about today, they're going, oh yeah, now I see it so clearly. And then I think the danger that we can, we can get into, Carly, is that then from a Christian perspective, we turn our attention back to the Jewish community and say, well, it's so clear. It's so clear. How could the Jewish people not see it? You know, obviously the bread represents Jesus and obviously the wine represents, you know, the, the blood of the new covenant. Well, not so fast, right? Paul, the same Paul who's telling us this, is, this was the supper and here's the exact nature of it, says to this day, and I think, you know, that was, you know, 2,000 years ago almost, but even to this day here, 2021, 2022, 
when the law of Moses is read. And I'm going to expand that and say when we're practicing our Jewish practices and our faith traditions, Bible-based, fulfilling the commandments of God. When we as a Jewish people are doing that, it says a veil remains over our eyes. And the idea is that there's things we might be able to see if that veil were lifted that we can't. Uh, and we know that when one turns to the Lord, it says when one encounters our Messiah, when we encounter Jesus, when the Spirit of God kind of breaks in and removes that veil, all of a sudden we see so clearly what we and what our people have never been able to see. And I'm not saying that kind of in a condemning way, how can the Jewish people not believe? We just have to understand there's a spiritual reality there that every year the worldwide Jewish community at least once a year is going through what the Christians would call communion in the context of a Passover Seder, but because that veil remains, we don't see it. And so for our Christian audience, I'd say, let's change our language, let's change the narrative from how can the Jewish people not see it? It's so clear to, wow, God, would you remove the veil from the Jewish people's eyes to encounter their own Messiah who inaugurated a new covenant first for the house of Israel as well as for all people in that, in that last supper, that Passover Seder in the year that he died. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how this tradition is really uh, celebrated between Judaism, Christianity, and Messianic Jews. Right. I mean, Christians are celebrating weekly and then of course honoring Easter. Right. In the Jewish tradition, they're still celebrating Passover and then Messianic Jews both. Mm -hmm. um, I would just encourage our Christian audience that's listening, if you've never actually experienced a Passover Seder, do so. I've, right. I've only experienced one and you led it, Ezra, um, <laughs> last year. Yeah. Um, but it's super eye-opening, like when, when Ezra's saying, how can the Jews not understand that, you know, the, the bread is Jesus' body and the right. blood is Jesus' wine? There's so much more to the Passover Seder than just right. these two elements. Sure. I mean, there's things you're reading, there's the four cups, there's all of this context right. um, that as a Christian, it's eye-opening right. um, because you've never, you've never heard that. You might have quickly read that story in the Bible, but mm -hmm. it's not like um, when you read that, you get the whole blown experience of going to a Passover Seder. Many right. Christian churches have Passover seders, um, so find one locally in your area if that's something that yeah. um, you want to experience. Great idea, great yeah. idea. So, you know, now that we've talked about how this, how the idea of communion is celebrated mm -hmm. um, from the Jewish tradition, how it's brought into the Christian tradition, what is your application for Christians listening today? Yeah, I think two things come to mind. The first is, you know, I mentioned that, that after supper, Jesus took this cup, right? That third cup of wine. But remember, there's this fourth cup of wine. And it's called, in Hebrew, you call it the cup of, of hallel or the cup of praise. Like that's where we get the word hallelujah, praise. Let's praise God, basically. Hallel is praise. And so it says, after he had taken, I think we read that, and it's, in, it's uh, recounted in the gospel accounts as well. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, give us some more details of that, of that Passover Seder, which we know now is the Last Supper. And it says, after he had taken the cup that he said, this cup, remember the cup of redemption in Jewish tradition, is the new covenant of my blood. It says, when he'd given thanks, they went out. Well, what about the fourth cup? And so if you will, for our listeners from the Jewish community and from the Christian community, if you will, maybe it's helpful, helpful for us to remember that to this day, as we're waiting for our promised Messiah, uh, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of all mankind to return and to rule and reign from Jerusalem as the Messiah, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember, he said, I won't drink of this cup again until I do it with you in the kingdom. And we're still waiting, right? Our Father who out in heaven, hallowed be thy name, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're waiting for that kingdom, Carly. 
uh, Jewish believers, really the Jewish community is still waiting for the days of Messiah. The veil prevents us from seeing that he's come and he's coming again. We're still waiting for him to come the first time by and large. But the idea there is that Jesus is saying to them, hey, that fourth cup, that cup of praise, really the same cup that a bridegroom would offer his bride in a wedding ceremony, I'm not going to have it until I come back to do it with you in the fullness of time. And so we are living, you know, every time we're taking communion, uh, I'm thinking especially for our Christian audience, don't think of it as this isolated, very individual devotional experience that's like detached from the rest of our faith. Think of it as we're reminding ourselves, we're in essence proclaiming that we as a faith community, Jew and Gentile alike, are, in, are smack dab in the middle of an unfinished Passover Seder that Jesus himself will finish by drinking that fourth cup with us in this wedding feast of the Lamb when he comes back to rule and reign. It's a pretty cool idea. We're living in a 1970-year-old and counting unfinished Passover Seder. You think a two-hour Passover Seder is long. Think about how long you know, Jesus is waiting for this one to be over and to come and be with us again. So that's one thought. And then just secondly, uh, beyond kind of this, Jesus died for my sins. Remember when you're taking Passover, when you're taking, excuse me, when you're taking communion, uh, a reminder of that Last Supper, that Passover Seder, the idea that uh, the bread represents his brokenness so we can be whole. And that wine, that cup of redemption, represents his sacrifice so we can be free. So we don't have to be sacrificed. We're not scapegoats. Like that's, that's the good news, mm -hmm. is that there is one who's been the scapegoat, the pure and spotless lamb, who went to the cross for our sins, who suffered the death that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob said was required for willful knowing sin. And he's done that on our behalf. And he's not done it only for us personally in our, individually, in our individual relationship with him. But when we take communion, let's remember what Jesus is saying to his disciples, which remains true to this day, that this communion represents, yes, for us individually, but also a redemption for the whole house of Israel and anyone from any nation who would call upon his name. So that's, that's the takeaways for me. Yeah, th that's great. And, and just thinking about those listening uh, right now, if you're going to church or congregation, you know, this upcoming weekend or, or today, if, if you're listening on a day that you would do that, mm -hmm. our challenge to you is when you're taking communion, think about this context. Right. The bigger context, the, the fact that we're waiting for the fourth cup, as Ezra said, and we're kind of in this long Passover Seder um, until Jesus returns. So instead of, um, or in addition to the devotional piece of it, um, that of course is important to all of our personal salvation, think about that larger context. Um, and we hope that this has provided some, some Jewish tradition meaning for you um, that helps you understand uh, the importance of communion. So thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of this podcast, you can enter for a chance to win our Lost Tribes coffee uh, for free. You can do that by texting JG to 474747. Uh, we pick a winner every month. And so if you're chosen, we'll let you know and we'll send you a free bag of that coffee. Um, there's also more information at ajewandagentiledisgust.org. If you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love if you leave us a review. It's super helpful to us. Uh, if there's anyone you know that you think would enjoy the content, please share the podcast as well. You can follow us on social media at the handle A Jew and a Gentile Discuss. And as we mentioned earlier, we're on YouTube now. So if you want to watch us instead of listening, go ahead and do that. If there's anything you want us to discuss or answer, you can submit your questions on our website. Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week for another episode.
This show is a production of Jewish Voice Ministries International.